Our Bible reading today is from Ephesians 2, verse 1 to verse 10. You can follow along in your own Bibles or on the screen behind. Ephesians 2, verse 1 to 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But even but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, And this is not from yourselves, it is the work of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared for us in advance to do. Well, good day again, everyone. As I said, my name is Scott. Really glad to be with you this morning. I wanted to start off today by telling you a little bit about my life story. Uh, I value acceptance. I like being in with people, one of the crowd. So growing up, I found acceptance in my friends at primary school. I had um, a particular group of buddies that was Cody, Brody, Kyle and me. And I had other friends as well at primary school. But, but these, these were my guys. I knew that if the other friends failed or if I just wasn't happy hanging out with them, I knew with, with these guys, I'd be accepted. Uh, that was very different to what church was like for me. Um, we were a church-going but not really Christian family. And so I went along to Sunday school. I knew all the Bible stories, you know, David and Goliath and Jonah and the whale and whatever else. But I just felt like I never really belonged at church. Um, my parents ran a small business, so often after church we had to leave and go home quickly. And I was never bullied or anything like that. It's just that I guess we never really spent time with people at church and so I've never felt like I fitted in properly there. Eventually, you know, primary school ends, I become a teenager, I go to high school and moving to high school I got separated from my good buddies from primary school and this is the time I'm thinking, well, where do I get acceptance now? Who's my my group? Changes also happened at church. Um, I didn't go to Sunday school anymore, I was too old for that, so... um, uh, and, and outside of Sunday school, there wasn't any really kind of friendship group that I belonged to, and so I thought church is not really my place, and I stopped going. Um, again, it's not that I was shunned, but I, I never really had, had, had my friends there, never, never really felt accepted there. So that kept happening, and after a while, I was bugged by a couple of people. Um, they kept saying, Scott, you've got to come to youth group. Uh, the church ran a youth group, and they said, Scott, you've got to come to the youth group. And I said, no, no, no. But they persisted. One guy was Ben. Ben was a year older than me, and he, but he travelled on the same bus into school every day. Uh, and, and on the bus, he kept bugging. He said, dude, you've got to come to youth. Oh, no, 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 no. The other guy that persisted was, was Whitey. Uh, Steve was his name. We called him Whitey. Steve was a youth group leader. 
And I didn't see him much. I didn't go to youth CC, so I never saw him much. Um, but our town was small enough. You'd bump into him here and there. He knew my older sister. And every time I'd bump into him, he'd say, man, you've got to come along. It'd be great to have you there. So after this bugging, eventually I decided, well, I might as well go along here and maybe, you know, I'll do it a couple of times and they'll stop bugging me about it. Or, on the other hand, you know, maybe it will be fun as well. And so I did it. I went along, I had fun and got to know some people there and felt like I was kind of getting a shoe in the door. But God used this for something far greater than me just having a group of friends. God opened my eyes. He showed me that Jesus wasn't just, just another part of the Bible but Jesus was the centre of the Bible. And that it's not just Jesus' whole life, but, but particularly the Bible is centred on Jesus' death and resurrection. Because it's there that I could have acceptance. Not, not just the kind of acceptance that you get with friends, but, but, but something even greater. I could have acceptance with God. The God who made me, the God who knew me, the God who loved me. That because of Jesus, he would accept me. I was flabbergasted by this. It's the thing that has fundamentally changed and shaped my life ever since then. Because he was not just another person, but a God who was willing to accept me. And the best thing was, it wasn't even dependent on my performance. I didn't have to do nice enough things for him to have me in or anything like that. His acceptance lasted because it was based on what Jesus had done for me. And that is the story of how I became converted. Now, conversion is often, uh, it's, a, it's a bit of a dirty word sometimes. It's, it kind of drags us back into the past. We feel like it's an old thing and it used to happen and it has overtones of being you know, not nice and religious and But it describes something that the Bible talks about a lot. And it actually talks about, the Bible talks about conversion in a very different way than we often think about it. The Bible talks about it in terms of life, and death, that it's that serious. Uh, at Trinity Church Paraka here, we are going through a series. We call it Who Are We? Uh, in this series, we're looking through Ephesians. In fact, we're looking at the whole Bible and we're seeing these five big purposes that God has for us and God has for our church. So last week, we looked at the idea, the purpose of magnification, saying that, that everything, the purpose of everything is to bring God the glory that he deserves. Today, we're talking about mission, talking about things like conversion and evangelism. Uh, these might be uh, the kind of topics that, that we don't talk about or hear about much, but this is God's purpose for us. So we're going to do three things today. Here's, here's the rough outline. We're going to look at the Bible, see what it says. In light of the Bible, we're going to think, well, who are we then? And after that, we're going to think, what does that look like for us in our lives? The Bible, who are we? What does that look like? Well, let's start with the Bible then. In the Bible, we see this. God's mission is to bring people from death to life. God's mission in the world is to bring people from death to life, which is exactly what we saw in the passage that Luke just read out for us. It, it talks about a reality, a spiritual reality that's pretty stark. It says that I am dead. Uh, verse 1, as for you, you were dead, dead in your transgressions and sins. You think to yourself, well, I don't feel dead. I mean, I'm breathing, I'm moving about. 
My heart is pumping with you. I've got a pulse. You can come and check it if you want. I'm very much alive. And physically that's true. Physically we are very much alive. But notice the passage is saying that we're dead in our transgressions and sins. That, that, that these things, transgressions and sins, they make us dead. What does that even mean? I think at this point it's helpful to think back to the start of the Bible, to the story that many of you would have heard of Adam and Eve. God said lots of things to Adam and Eve, but one thing he said was, don't eat from this particular tree. When you, when you eat from it, you'll die. Or literally, it says, on the day that you eat from it, you'll die. Well, Adam and Eve hear this from God, but they decide they'd rather not listen to God. They'd rather kind of figure out life for themselves. So they go and they eat the fruit. And do they die on that day? No, they don't actually, do they? They, they live for quite a long time. But on that day, something changed. Something dramatic happened. Because from that point on, they were spiritually dead. Six feet under. Physically, their bodies kept going for a little while longer, but but they were spiritually dead because they were separated from the life-giving God, cut off from him. And eventually, their physical bodies caught up with this, and they died too. That's like us. See, we, we, we kind of decide we want to run life the way we want it, and oh, just be quiet about this God stuff. And because of this, we're cut off from God. We're spiritually dead, cut off from him. And eventually, even though we keep living, eventually our physical bodies catch up to this and they die too. Some of you will know my wife, Pip. She's here with us today. Recently, Pip finished a large and long assignment. Well done, darling. Um, I thought a nice way to say good on you would be to bring her home some flowers. Here they are. Now, those don't look terribly nice, do they? Uh, They're drooping. Some parts of it are going brown. The petals have fallen off some of them. Um, The thing is, they're going to look worse than that in a couple of days again, aren't they? But but they used to look better than this. I swear they did. There was no brown. There was no drooping. They had their their, their full display of petals. They were full of colour. They looked nice, but the truth is, when I bought them home from the shops, they were already dead. That's true. In fact, they were dead before I bought them from the shops. They were dead the moment they got chopped off from the plant that they grew on. Even though they look beautiful, although they don't quite look beautiful there, even though they looked beautiful at one point, they're actually dead. And that's what the Bible's saying of us too, of all of us. We might look nice, vibrant, full of colour, bright. But actually, we are dead because we, like the plant, like the, like the flowers are cut off from the plant, we've been cut off from God. God who gives us our nourishment, God who gives us the things that we need, God who gives us life itself, and so we are dead, according to the Bible. But it's not all bad news. Look at verse 4 with me. In verse 4, you see that God's grace enters the picture. Verse 4, up on the screen there. 
But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, God made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. God's grace comes into the world. Do you know what grace means? Grace means you get something good even though you never deserved it. You didn't deserve this good gift, but God gives it to you anyway. God's grace comes into the world. He gives us what we don't deserve. He makes us alive with Jesus. And I was trying to think, okay, what's the, what's the, what's the picture here? What's the analogy? If being dead is like those flowers cut off from the tree, what is, what is this being made alive? Is it, is it like Frankenstein's monster? Because, you know, there's something that's not living and it comes to life. Well, no, not really, is it? Because Frankenstein's monster is bits and pieces that get sewn together. And maybe it's like a zombie. Because, you know, they were dead, but they come back to life. And they're thinking, oh, no, no, that doesn't quite work, does it? Because, well, zombies aren't really human. They're just brain-eating monsters, right? No. I know. It's kind of like Robocop. You know, Robocop dies and then he gets brought back as a robot and he's revived. But no, 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 it's not quite like that either, is it? Because, well... Robots aren't really people. And I started to think to myself, ah, ah, there's no analogy. There's no, there's no picture that really grasps it. Because this is something that only God does. It can only be God who does this because God is the only one who gives us life in the first place. So he's the only one who can restore life to us again. So God's grace comes and he makes us alive again. But can I say, it's not just he makes us alive again. He makes us richly alive. Look at verse 6. Verse 6 says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. You see what God does in these verses? He gives us a place in heaven right with Jesus. You know, we're not a last-minute invite. We're not those who kind of get shafted to the seats that have got an obstructed view that you've got to crane your neck to see anything. They're right in there with Jesus. And it says God showers his grace upon us. So much so he's, he's showing off how rich his grace is. He wants everyone to see just how generous he really is. And he does it by pouring his kindness on us over and over again and again. Well, it just doesn't make us alive, but it's, it's richly alive. Perhaps you're here today and um, this whole Jesus thing, you're not really convinced about it yet, you're not sure about it. Um, or maybe it's not your thing at all. Um, if that's your sort of great, you're welcome here. Glad to have you along. Um, and you can probably see at this point why your friend is so keen for you to know Jesus, right? Because if if the Bible really is God's word to us, if it's if it's true, then it's actually speaking to us of a really desperate situation that we're all in, that we are spiritually dead, goners. And if this is the Bible's, if the Bible is God's word to us here, 
it's also speaking of a brilliant future, a brilliant life that you can have for yourself too. One where you are not dead but alive and richly alive at that one where God will shower his kindness on you in an effort to show off just how generous he is. Can you see why your friend might really want this for you? This is God's purpose for the world. This is God's mission to bring life where there was death. At this point, it's useful to just clarify mission again. Mission is, is not feeding the poor or caring for the sick or setting up hospitals or, or those kind of things. Yeah, those things are good. They are very good. And they flow out of mission. God brings his people from death to life. And then in verse 10, with this new life, what do they do? Well, they do the good things that God has prepared for them to do. And so as a church, we want to do this. We want to get, as a church, we're trying to get involved with the breakfast club here at Pracker Primary School where we'd be able to feed hungry kids in the morning. We want to partner with compassion as they seek to release whole families from poverty. And I know besides, besides what our church might be doing officially, so many of you are involved in other things in other ways as well. We want to do this good. It's right that we do. But mission is first and foremost, about how that change happens from death to life. Mission is, is about being brought alive by God's grace. And it happens as the message of Jesus is spoken and as people put their trust in Jesus to make them alive. Mission is at its heart a speaking activity. We speak the good news, we speak the message, and we invite people to put their trust in God's grace for them. And this is what God wants for his world. This is what God has always wanted for his world, bringing his people to him, bringing the whole world to him. This is his message constantly. Let me give you some references. I want to take us a really quick snapshot through parts of the Bible where we see this again and again. I'm not going to uh, open the parts of the Bible now, but I've got the references for you on the screen. But it starts up with God's, the covenant God makes with Abraham. This is a huge moment in God's plan for the world where God says, I'm going to take your family, Abraham, and make something big of you. But in fact, it's not just about Abraham's family. Even in that moment, God says, I'm going to use you to bless the whole world. God's scope for mission is about the whole world. Even as his people Israel is being established as a nation, God doesn't say do this so you can just be your own little holy huddle and not worry about the rest of the nations around you. But in fact, God says, no, no, you're to be a witness to the other nations of how good I am. Even when Israel goes bad, God speaks through his prophets. And Isaiah 2 is just one example of this. But through his prophets, God reminds them that his concern is not just for that nation, but for the whole world. And God is planning to bring in people from all over the world to be his people. Of course, the greatest moment where we see this is with Jesus, isn't it? God's heart, what's God's heart as he sends Jesus? It's captured in that very famous verse, John 3.16, For God so loved the world. He so loved the world that he sent his only son so that whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. 
God sends Jesus because he loves not just some, but the whole world. And we catch it in Jesus' last words too. Before Jesus goes back to heaven, he says to his, his followers, okay, you guys now have a mission. You need to take this news about me to the ends of the earth because that's Jesus' agenda now for the world. That right to the ends of the earth, people know about him. And even our community groups, we're going to look at another passage uh, later on in our groups this week where Jesus sends out his followers on mission. So what's God's mission for the world? It's to bring people all over the place from death to life. That's what he did with me all those years ago. He particularly used Ben, Whitey, that that youth group situation. But he uses other things as well. I'm sure if we, we, we talk to a lot of us here, we'd find all different ways that God has done this in your lives. Because God's mission in this world is to bring people from death to life. So if that's what the Bible says, then the question we want to ask is, well, who are we? Who are we as a church? And who are we as individuals? I want to say here, well, aren't we those who want to have the same heart as God does? Again, what was the heart of God for the world? He loved the world. He loved the world so much that he sent Jesus. That's got to be us too. We want to be those who have that kind of love, our love for our neighbours and our work colleagues and the people in our social groups, people we share gym classes with, the people we play cards with or whatever it is, that, that we would have God's heart of deep, deep love. Love that means... Even, even, even if we talk about conversions and proselytizing or evangelism, even if that's not socially normal, our love means that we'll take the step to do that anyway. We'll, we'll spend our social capital to do that because we have God's heart of deep, deep love where those who join God in his mission for the world because we have God's heart for the world. So as a church, we have a vision. Our vision is more and more people passionately living for Jesus. And particularly today, when we talk about mission, the emphasis is on that more and more thing. We do. We'd love to see more and more people living for Jesus. But but we don't want this because we'd we'd love to just have a massive church. We don't want this because we want our influence to spread everywhere. It's not that we want to be like a mega church or anything like that. We want this simply because we're convinced life is short. Because we're convinced heaven and hell are real. Because we're convinced that without Jesus, people are dead and dying. That without Jesus, there's no life. But in fact, with Jesus, there is life. And there's abundant and good life, rich life. And so we want to join God in his mission. We'd love to see more and more people being passionate about living for Jesus. That's who we are. So how do we do that then? How do we be on mission? 
Firstly, I want to ask a question or or, or say it it changes the way that we see our church. And let me use two kind of illustrations, two two pictures here. Um, Has anyone here been on a cruise before? Have you been on a cruise? A few? Yeah. I I never have, but I reckon I would love it. Uh, Think about it. Everything is there for you, right? The food's there, the drink's there, the pool's there, the entertainment's over here. Someone else does the driving of the boat. Someone else does the cooking of the food. Someone else does the serving and bringing it out to me. I just kind of kick back in my banana lounge and relax. Brilliant. This is my kind of holiday. Sometimes, and I don't think this is intentional, but sometimes we can have that view about of church. Everything's here for me. I come, I enjoy, I have nice conversations, I hang out with the people who are like me. It's easy, it's great. And like I said, I think we, I don't think we're consciously thinking like this, but, but practically that's what happens. But church is not like a cruise ship. If anything, it's, it's more like a lifeboat. Has anyone here been on a lifeboat before? That's the, not, no, I'm glad to hear that. But what do you do on a lifeboat? I've never been on one either, but I got an idea. You, you're squashed. You're squishy. You can't bring your banana lounge there. It's uncomfortable. But still, despite that, you're trying to drag in as many people as possible to join you on the lifeboat because you know without being in the lifeboat, people are drowning. Friends, that is how we need to see church. It's the kind of mentality that says, I'll come here and I see my friend who I love hanging out with. But you know, right now I'm not going to chat with her. Because I've also seen someone that's new over there. And I want to make sure they feel at home here with us. That's the kind of thing that says, you know, over time, this, this is going to get bigger if, if God chooses to use us to see more and more people live for Jesus. This is going to get bigger. I'm not going to know everyone. And everyone's not going to know me. But you know what? I'm okay with that. Because God's mission is bigger than my comfort. God's mission is more important than my comfort. Where, you know, as a church, we might send friends on, a, on, on church plants away from us. We don't see them all the time, but that's okay because God's mission is bigger than my comfort. We'll keep looking for more and more ways so that new people can find a home amongst us, even though it's not easy and even though they, they might not even be like me, but we do it because we're a lifeboat and we're convinced that without Jesus, people are drowning. And so whatever it takes, whatever it takes, that's what we're going to do because we're on God's mission together. Is that how you see church? Not as the cruise ship, but as the lifeboat. Here's the second illustration I want to give. Um, Every Sunday is grand final Sunday. Anyone here ever played in a grand final? Got a couple, yeah, yeah. The thing you know about a grand final is there's no second chance. If you lose on that day, that's it. You can't come back the next week and try again. When when the final siren sounds, your opportunity is over. There are no second chances. And so what you do then on grand final Sunday is you put your best foot forward. You make every effort that that is the day that you are going to try your hardest and work your guts out to get the win. That's kind of like the attitude we want here at church, isn't it? 
especially for the guests amongst us. And look, if you're a guest today, I want to say welcome. Glad you're here. And I'm not meaning to point you out at all right now. Um, but as a church, we, we need to realize it's actually hard to walk in to a new church. It's, it's, it's tricky, even if you've been invited. And even if you know somebody's waiting there for you, it's, it's hard. It's hard. And so we need to think, look, there's no second chance at this. We want to make the most of the opportunity we get. It doesn't mean you know, swamping the newcomer, having a thousand people try and go up to them with a thousand different questions because that's just horrible and uncomfortable and nobody likes that. But it does mean, it does mean the initiative is on us. The initiative is on us to, to meet them and to meet their needs and where they're at. That means I can miss having a conversation with my friend because, well, you know, I can catch him later on the day if needs be. Or if I miss him, I can catch him on the phone or we can grab a coffee. But, but I can't do that with a guest because there's no second chances. This, this mentality, having a, a grand final every Sunday, this is what the people up the front are thinking as they get up the front. So they try and be as real as they can. We, we try and get rid of stuff that would make everyone cringe here. Not that we're all polished and we pretend, but we do want to try and put our best foot forward as much as we can. Because for us, each Sunday is like a grand final Sunday. Sometimes there's no second chances, so we want to take what we've got. If we want to be a church that's on mission, those are kind of two pictures, two illustrations that I think help capture what it means for us, how we want to see church here on a Sunday. But if we're on mission, it's not just about our church being on mission, is it? It's about us. It's about how we see ourselves too. So let me ask, how do we see ourselves when it comes to mission? I think let's be honest for a moment. Not all of us are experts at this. I had a friend, his name was Dave. Right? So I'd meet Dave at some point and Dave would kind of roll in on his skateboard and say, G'day Dave, how are you going? And he'd say, oh, fantastic. I was just coming along here and I saw another guy with a skateboard and so we got talking a little bit and you know, he asked me about me and I got to tell him how I follow Jesus with my life and next week we're going to read the Bible together. And I sit there going, thinking two things. The first thing I think is, oh, brilliant, how good is this? And the second thing I think is, that's never me, is it? I can never do that. That's... Dave seemed like an expert, and I felt like oh, I wasn't. Maybe that's the way you feel that most of us probably feel we're not experts at being on mission. The thing about mission is we're not all experts, but we are all involved. And there's two ways I want to say that we are all involved. The first one is prayer. Uh, and yes, said this when she was up here before. But prayer is the heartbeat of mission. We cannot do mission without prayer because it's not me that changes people. It's not me that brings someone from death to life. That is the work of God in their lives. So I pray and I ask God to be at work. Here's my suggestion to you. Why not pray for three friends? Three people that you know, people that you're in regular contact with, that, that you do life alongside. Three people who don't yet follow Jesus. Pick your three friends and pray for them. If you just prayed for, you know, one of them a day, you get to the end of the week and you've prayed through everyone twice. Even if you missed a day, you still get through everyone twice. You pray that God would change them, that, that they would get to know Jesus a bit more. Pray that you'd get opportunities to speak to them. Pray that 
God would help you know what to say in those moments. Imagine if we did that. Imagine if, if we did that and, and if God started to answer our prayers, that, that people were changed, that we did have opportunities to speak and that God did give us words to say. How good would that be? Isn't that something worth praying about? All of us can pray. All of us should pray. This is the heartbeat of mission. And the second thing is then is that we all want to give it a go. I want to suggest to us to, to try different ways about being intentional of how you could share your life of trusting Jesus, your life of faith in Jesus. And I get that this can be this can be hard, this can be tricky, this can be scary at points, let's be honest. So here's just a few tips I wanted to pass on. This isn't the whole that there's I'm sure there's there's much more to say. And if we got some put our brains together, we'd come up with some brilliant ideas. But here's just a few tips from me. First thing, invest in your friends. Invest in your friendships outside of church. Spend time with them. Enjoy the friendship. Be real. And know that not every conversation has to be about Jesus. It's okay if that's the case. You might be thinking here, well, you know, I don't really have those deep friendships outside of church. No, I want to say that's okay. Don't sweat it. But um, spend some time thinking, maybe who is it that you could get to know a bit better? Maybe it's your neighbours that you want to have them over for coffee in the next couple of weeks. And then maybe you think, you know, dinner in the next couple of months maybe with them. Just trying to get to know them better. Or maybe it's that you join a sports team or a gym class looking to get to know and make some new friends. Or Can I tell you about something that someone in our church did recently? She told me, I think it's really brave. She said, I'm going to start taking my kids to places that I wouldn't normally go where there's going to be other families there and I want to do that so I can get to meet some other mums. Now, kids can make connections and just see where the friendships go from there. Brilliant, isn't that? Because that's the heart that just wants to invest in people. It's a heart that is driving, the heart that is beating with God's love for his world. It's a heart for mission. That's tip number one. Number two, when it comes to talking, start, start with the simple things. Start with the simple things. You don't need to jump into a huge conversation about uh, the gospel from A to Z. A to Z. But you know, start with the simple things. When, when you're asked, what did you do on the weekend? Oh, you know, I went to church. Or even better, I went to church and I loved it. You know, we read the Bible and we heard from God's, God's word about his love for the world and how we can be part of his mission. And then I went with some friends after for lunch. Fantastic. Um, you don't have to go straight in for the big question, but be, but be honest about your faith in your life, and, and pray as well. Uh, next, thing, next tip, listen to this podcast. It's called Evangelism in a Skeptical World. It's, it's by a guy named Sanchen. The podcast goes for about 20 to 30 minutes each one. There's, I think, only eight or ten of them. I'm not quite sure. Um, but this guy's brilliant. He gives really easy, practical advice that's just simple to put into practice. Why not listen to the podcast and see what you can pick up from it? I'll provide a link for this in the weekly email this week. Final thing I want to mention. Friends, make use of the church, our church's mission calendar. Uh, right now, we're in the process of just rejigging a few things about our mission calendar. When it's done, I'm going to make sure you know about it because I want you to make the most of it. 
some of the things we've done in the past, we, we, we do all sorts of things. Um, it, for example, we do the thing where we try and ask our friends, and we're all asking our friends the same kind of question, just see where the conversation goes. And then we take topics from that and we use them as our topics on a Sunday. And we, we've done things in the past like we've had kind of events we try to make really fun and easy, social events, like the beer and burgers night or the, the gingerbread events, things that are perhaps a bit easier for your friends to come along to. And when they come there, they're going to meet your church friends and you've got these two kind of social worlds mingling and that makes it an easier step to come into church after that. We do things like we run the live series, which is happening right now, where we actually take the friends who are, any friends of yours who is keen, they can jump deep with us and, and look, look, look at Jesus, ask the questions they have, come and hear what, what Jesus has to say about the world. We've done training in the past as well, things like where we've taken the little word one-to-one booklet, it's a fantastic booklet, and figure out how we can use this with our friends. And friends, we put this stuff on because we get mission is hard, so we, we want to do it together. We want to help as a church. So I encourage you, make the most of it. There's a few tips about doing mission together. Look, we might not all be experts, but we are all involved in God's great mission for this world to bring life where there is death. Isn't that a brilliant thing that God has called us to be part of with him? Why don't I pray and ask ask him to be with us uh, as we go out into the world? Our great God in heaven, we thank you that you are on mission in this world. We thank you that you've changed and shaped many of us, bringing us from death to life. God, our prayer is that you would keep doing that. In our lives, in the people amongst us, in our community around us, bring people from death to life through Jesus. Father, we pray that you would keep convicting our own hearts that we ought to be joining you on your mission. Father, help us see the practical things that we can do to join you on your mission. We need your help in this and we ask for it now. In the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.